Hi there, and welcome to The Chattering Hour, and our guest today, Mr. John Franklin. We talk about hanging out with Jane Fonda, that weird car he drove as Cousin It in the Adams Family film, and lying about his age on The Children of the Corn. We talk about that and much, much more. Up next on The Chattering Hour, Isaac is in the house, Mr. John Franklin. John Franklin wrote and acted in plays at high school. After graduating in theatre studies from the University of Chicago, he moved to Los Angeles, where he quickly secured the role of Isaac in The Children of the Corn and Cousin It in the first two Adams Family films. Fifteen years later, he reprised the role of Isaac in Children of the Corn 666 and in the early 2000s, retired from acting and became a high school teacher of English, where he specialised in Shakespeare. He recently returned to writing and acting in shows such as Brooklyn Nine-Nine and Fresh Off the Boat. John, thank you very much indeed for joining me here today. Pleasure to be here, Nick. Cool, cool. So, all right, so I'll take us right back to the very beginning, if I may. And so you were born... Blue Island, Illinois, <laughs> part of Chicago. Is that where you grew up? Yeah, I, I, we moved there when I was nine, but it's a little town called Worth nearby is where we lived until I was nine. And then we did move to Blue Island. So Right, right. What was your childhood like? Well, first we must go in the t- way back machine. Okay, now childhood. Um, I, my oldest brother, I come from a family of six kids. But my oldest brother is nine years older than me. So all my music influences and everything are there. And then I was the baby, actually, for nine years. And then my little brother, the oops, baby, popped up. Um, and so that then suddenly I became, a, in a, chronologically, a, the middle child because he was nine years younger than me. And my oldest brother was nine years older than me. So but five boys, one girl. Right. Oh, God. Yeah, your poor mom. Um what was it, so? What were your folks doing? Um, my dad owned a uh, TV repair shop that he his own. It was very you know, popular and did well. Uh, my mom was a stay at home mom. Um, I went to Catholic grammar school for eight years, and then my bro- older brother and sister and I was able to go to a public high school because we didn't want to go to a Catholic uh, high school because the priests would beat you up. Um, it was just, um, I was, I was the quiet kid. Um, just very loved to read, loved to, um, I, as my dad had the TV store, we all had our own like little tiny black and white sets that we could have in our bedroom. Um, very, um, so I just love that. Um, and then in eighth grade, I wrote and directed and starred in a play about illiteracy. Um, and it was all these different characters from books like um, Tom Sawyer and um, Huck Finn and all these different characters met and then talked about the importance of reading. And then I just, I mean, when the 
applause hit at the end of the little play. I just, the bug hit me. And I just told my cousin, who's also my best friend, he went to a different Catholic grammar school. I said, we are joining the, uh, the drama club in you know high school as soon as from day one. And we did, and we were in every single play. And then once I was 16, I was able to drive. I was doing every community theater within half an hour of driving um, just to get experience. And I loved theater. I still do. Um, and that was it. And then when I was 16, my sister was going to the University of Illinois in Champaign-Urbana. Um, not as a, And then I went down to visit her and I just fell in love with the theater. And I just said, this is where I want to go to college. And I was so naive. I just, I, you had to audition. Um, and I didn't apply to any other colleges. I was just like, that's it. I'm going to the University of Illinois, even though I had to audition. And so I went down there and we had just done a play of sorted, sorted children's theater tales called Story Theater. And so I was, did my Chicken Little, you know, the sky is falling, the sky is falling. It's one of my monologues. And then I brought the costume. I didn't wear it for the audition, but later on, it was walking around the, the halls in the green room and I put the chicken costume on. Um, and one of the professors who was in the audition came out and said, you are going to the school. So. <laughs> wow. Wow. Now you mentioned um, that you've, you had TVs in the, in the room. Um, yes. What sort of thing were you watching on TV? Were you uh, watching films? Always or? the great, you know, Mary Tyler Moore, Bob Newhart. Um, oh, just all the, it was always like either Friday or Saturday night. You just were glued. And my cousin and I would be on the phone and we're like going, Oh my gosh, do this, and this, this. And we wrote a play in, um, uh, in high school Actually, it was our senior year called Can Bathing Beauties Find True Happiness Through Brain Surgery? So it was a full length murder musical mystery. Um, very inappropriate. Now, I played like a Charlie Chan character and he was um, number one son or no fun son, we call him. Um, <laughs> very on PC these days. But it was a blast. Uh, it was a lot of fun. Wow. Did that answer the question? I would totally <laughs> <laughs> Kind of did. I mean, yeah, because I was wondering what you were saying. TV, watching yes. Mary Tyler Ward more. Yes. I adore. I just, I, um, you know, I'm a huge fan of hers and Bob Newhart. I mean, Carol Burnett. Oh, it was Carol Burnett that just really inspired me so much to want to get into acting and and writing. Also, I mean, just so much fun. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, I grew up. We had a Bob Newhart LP, the driving oh instructor, oh, wow. and and. As a just yeah, huge fan of Bob Newhart and just yeah. he's an amazing, amazing guy. Okay, so you you got to you you got to college. You're studying drama. You studied um, drama and teaching. Is that right? No, no. Um, just I was just theater. That was right. it. That was only theater. Um, and I I guess I minored in you know some other English sort of. I had enough the writing classes I was taking um, and film. You know, like a class in. Uh, Hitchcock, Truffaut, um, and Kurosawa. Um, but no, as a theater major, I was, that was, no, teaching was not in the plan at all that came right. many, many years later. Right, right. So you've got, you graduate from college. What did you do then? I auditioned, uh, I was still living in Chicago with I, my brothers, have a we call it Crater Lake because the back alley where you have to enter, it had so many holes and pits and craters uh, that it was just we, Crater Lake is the, the 
deepest lake in the United States. So they called it Crater Lake. So I was living with my brothers in this old 1800s house. And then I just started auditioning for um, theater in Chicago. And I went in downtown to Chicago. And I mean, I was you know 21, but I looked 12. So that was a big hit, you know, big, very big. Um, so I got agents right away and did a bunch of commercials in Chicago. And then I got my equity card uh, by doing children's theater. So right away, I was the first one out of my acting class. And by it was a co- acting studio. So by the every year, even every semester, they were like kick people out. So I think there were like 13 of us that finally graduated from my class. Wow. acting studio. Uh, but I was the first out of my class to get all my union cards and just be ready. And, and I had it all planned. I was going to you know, go to University of Illinois um, because senior year they had acting for the camera a whole semester. So that was a great, you know, way. And and back then they were like big monster cameras, you know, like <laughs> uh, with the big tape. There's like, oh my gosh, it was like three quarter inch order like home. Um, and then just or get my equity card, my SAG card, and then save up some money and move to LA because I look so young. Um, I did also some stand-in work. I wanted to get some experience on a set. So uh, the doll maker uh, starring Jane Fonda. So I was stand-in. There were three kids that she had on the show um, in the movie of the week, I guess, kind of thing. Um, and I did stand-in. Sometimes if you go back and look at it where the kids were sleeping, that was really me in one of the shots. Uh, they did like put me in like a little shot walking around. Um, and all the snow was fake plastic. And I'm going, oh, my gosh, you're knock on wood. It's like, no cancer, please, because now they know that it was like asbestos. And, everything. <laughs> it, um, and then Jin Fonda and I just, I started hanging out. And because I was there, she's like, oh, Johnny, can you go make me an espresso? And I'd run in her trailer. And then sometimes her daughter, one of her daughters would be there. She's like, oh, uh, you're not in the scene today. Can you just watch her? Well, oh, wow. So I was like hanging out with Jane Fonda. And then um, I mentioned that I was thinking about going to LA and she's like, Oh, you have to, you have to, you know, you look so young and you're over 18 and you'd be really doing well. And, and then I did some dinner theater also. And Claude Akins, I uh, did a, played his 12 year old son in a play. And I was like 22, 23 at the time. And he was real supportive too. And he gave me his private phone number. And he said, once you move out to you know California, LA, I'll meet with you and I'll introduce you to my agents at William Morris. Um, and by the time I, am I jumping up too far? <laughs> no, no, not at all. Okay. No, 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 so, that's fine. And then by the, by the time I got to LA, I just walked into an agent's office and, um, and boom, they, at the first place they were out, seriously, not out to lunch, but literally out to lunch. So the secretary just said, Oh, leave your picture here resume. And then I went down to the next place. It was, uh, Kalman Arletta, Tony Kalman. And she started all the Brady Bunch kids and, uh, Jody Foster and a lot of other, there's definitely a youth agency. Um, and they signed me on the spot. And they sent me out on auditions that afternoon. Wow. Do you remember what your first job was once you got to L.A.? Uh, I got cast three weeks after I got to L.A. I got cast in a national Star Trek Atari commercial. And so that is and then a week later, I got Children of the Corn. So it was like, boom, boom, boom. And that is why when I went to shoot Children of the Corn in Iowa, I had the Spock haircut still because they cut my hair on the set. And then um, 
all the producers and the director Fritz Kirsch of Children of the Corn just said, love the hair. It's kind of quirky and weird. And it's a Star Trek <laughs> Vulcan haircut. So that's why Isaac, uh, my character, has a Vulcan haircut. I, I did not know that. Oh, that is that is absolutely fascinating. So you've got you've got the role. This is all happening very very quickly. Oh, I know. Yeah. What what were you feeling and thinking at that time? And you know, were you, did you feel a bit overwhelmed by it all? Or no, I was cocky, and I just kind of expected it. You know. <laughs> Um, and I always loved Stephen King. I mean, we always read the novels, and as soon as they came out, paperback, we're all passing them back and forth with each other and Carrie. And um, so when that all came up, that it was an audition for Children of the Corn, of course, I had the short story, you know, this collection of short stories. So I read it. Um, I was just really excited. But I mean, the, the funny thing is that I moved to LA to be in sitcoms. I wanted to be like in a Carol Burnett kind of show or Bob Newhart or Mary Tyler Moore. And there I got, you know, pegged into. Children of the Corn and horror, so <laughs> which is fine. I you know, I love it. But. Sure. I mean, were you a fan of horror films? I mean, did you know about Carrie and Dead Zone and the other Stephen King? I mean, I, some of the ones that had come out before Children of the Corn, yes. Um, I never liked the cut up movies where this just chop up people, um, but I was always a big fan of the classic. I am um, growing up in uh, Chicago and we had creature features on Friday night or Saturday night. And then, you know, the, the, the Sven Gulli character would be the host of the uh, go. Um, and he's still around. And when I went back once to do a convention in Chicago, he was there. So it's pretty funny that he's still got the rubber chicken and all this shit that he does. It's fun. Um, but it, growing up, you know, with Dracula, the original black and white and, you know, the werewolf and the mummy and, so i just loved all the classic old classic right right and hitchcock too i just love that kind of suspense right what so when you children of the corn you're filming in iowa right yes yeah uh we they of course you know i just left the midwest and silly me they send us back there i think we're shooting in around halloween it was october and i did not pack gloves or a hat or a jacket or anything so we're out there shooting at night and i'm freezing i took us off so they remember like the first day off we had um we would like to hang out with some of the they had all the kids from like the local theater and the local drama club too so they would you know drive us around so we went to a mall that used to be a meat packing place so it was like it seriously smelled it was like underground and you could smell dead animals. It was like really creepy. But anyway, I bought gloves and hat and <laughs> got all ready. So um, big jackets. So. But uh, yeah, so it was interesting to go back and to the Midwest. And we stayed in uh, Sioux City, Iowa. Um, there's a little, and even though it takes place in Nebraska, um, we shot most of it in Sioux City. Right, right. What? What's your fondest memory of the set of Children of the Corn? You know, that um, it, it was such a blur uh, because it was my first big part. I was the starring of the star. And I just knew that I had to be, they called me one take Franklin because I was just like, bam, I've just got in. I know my lines, know the blocking, do everything uh, perfect. Um, and then also at the same time, I was lying about my age. So it's like, <laughs> because I had on my resume, I had BFA, University of Illinois. So at the final callback, 
Um, and by that point, they had just uh, me and they were having various uh, Malachi's come up, including Courtney Gaines, who eventually got it. Um, and it was like final callback. And the, one of the producers just said, John, you have a BFA? And I just froze. But I just I just instantly it's like zoomed in and came to me. Yes, I was a child genius. I graduated high school at 12 and then I went to college and just boom, boom, boom. I was born in this. I'm like, oh my gosh. So I, when I went to Iowa, they all thought I was 18 years old. That's all they wanted. And my agent said, you know, just, just lie, just lie, you know, because they didn't want, and they, I don't know if they would have cast me to play a 12, 13 year old if they knew I was 23, 24. <laughs> so, so I just it was 18 the whole time and lying to everybody and all the kids on the set would come up hey john could you help me with my physics homework i'm like i really think you should work on that by yourself <laughs> you should, yeah. so it's, uh, that tension of that um trying to be perfect uh with lines and blocking and um but i, I also enjoyed uh, there were many many breakfasts with uh peter horton we would sit at the, we were staying at Howard Johnson's. So they had the little restaurant there and just, we had similar, we weren't, we never shot a scene together or I never had a scene with Linda Hamilton either, but um, we just had a lot of breakfast. It was fun. He was married to Michelle Pfeiffer at the time. So he would talk about her and uh, she was a cashier at Vons and <laughs> hoping to get some break. <laughs> So it was, everybody was so nice. We just really, really had a great time. And Courtney Gaines and I are still friends and we hang out and still do conventions together. And, and I cannot believe, and since the internet is out there, I can't lie anymore about my age, but it's in 2023, that will be 40 years since we shot it. And then it came out in 84. So I was like, I cannot believe it's 40 year anniversaries coming up soon. But I'm sure you've got the same thing with Hellraiser, you know. So. Yeah, yeah. I think I think with I'm it's 35, so it was uh, 87 it came out. Yeah. So we're, yeah, next year is 35. Wow. Um, yeah. I know, and I'm just thinking, just bizarre. That, that makes it no is. sense to me. That's like time zap. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> really. <laughs> What was I? What was I doing for the last thirty odd years? I yeah, no, like, to I know. I want a few of those years back. Come on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure I could do them better if I had the chance to do them again. Yeah, exactly. You know? Yeah, yeah. I, I'm absolutely fascinated by the fact that you lied about your age because did that yeah. mean you couldn't drink alcohol whilst you were filming? Um, there was like really no opportunity to. I had like a, a nine day span where I was off. So what I did is I got on a little plane, flew to Chicago. My parents picked me up. I stayed with my family for the you know, week. And then my oldest brother and my mom and dad, we all drove back to Sioux City. So my parents were on the set as well as my oldest brother. Um, so I, I don't, I mean, I wasn't like a big drinker. Right. Back then, no. Nothing <laughs> 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 like today. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> so, uh, but it was like, just a quick anecdote about my parents being on the set. Fritz mm-hmm. Kirsch is like, oh, they called him Mr. and Mrs. Franklin, even though my legal name is Salopatic. So they're like, Mr. and Mrs. Franklin, oh, you want to be on the set? So they put them in front of the camera and I've got this big scene with the two little kids and I'm like going, and it's a smoky room. It's like Isaac's lair and all this stuff. And it's just like going, you put my parents right there but on the other side of the camera. It's like, talk about more attention and freaking out. So I was like, but it was it was great. My parents, you know, very always 
very supportive of me acting. And every play I was in at college, they would drive the two and a half hours down and stay the weekend. And so it was like, they would do, you know, if I was, I did Oliver with Davy Jones um, and the monkeys, he was Fagan and I was artful Dodger that he did on Broadway. Um, And so I did, three months in Miami beach and my parents flew down for that. And then another three months or two months in Seattle at the fifth Avenue theater, which is gorgeous. It's like all art deco is just stunning, huge, huge place. So. Right. right. So what was, what was the reception for the film when it first came out? Um, I, I think it really got panned in the reviews. Um, I remember um, Roger Ebert said I was like a munchkin with helium. Like, thank you very much. Because uh, there's a final scene where I'm up on the cross and I'm screaming, I was good, I swear it. And this, what's so funny is like back then it was real film and whatever tape they use for the recording froze up. It was so cold that night when I was up on the cross. And so I had to, back in LA, I had to go in and dub all those lines. And that's tough to get that kind of emotion again the monster and they've got this little flashlight they're going okay pretend the monsters because they added all the special effects later pretend the monsters coming up your body is like a red light and they just had a flashlight so it screamed so that's the only time i went high pitched so it's like for roger ebert to rip me apart just because of that last final part excuse me but it's the legacy of it and and it just continues and it's you know one of those cult fan favorites because when I do the conventions, boy, people just line up. They, it's really a beloved film. And so it's, that's part that's really cool. Yeah, yeah. And then that, <laughs> something for which we're both very grateful in our you know, respects oh, of films. I know. <laughs> Extraordinary. <laughs> when did you become aware in that case of the initial? When did you get an inkling as to that this film that got legs and it was going to be around for a long time? Um, well, Right when it opened, I I went to, uh, I was at a restaurant with some friends and also a woman at the table across looked over and saw me. She's like, ah, she's like ran out of the restaurant, made the maitre d' move their entire group um, to another table. She couldn't even be across the, the you know, an aisle from me. Um, another time I went on to an elevator and then again, a woman just screamed, ah! he's so scary he's scary she's like punching all the buttons to get off the next floor she's gonna be on the elevator with me so i'm like okay i made an impression um and then it just also kind of hurt too because i would like go into audition and i remember it was like a i can say martin scorsese film or something like that of al pacino or something but um they just like said oh no we you know sorry you can't be in this kind of quality film you're in horror film you're children of the corn so it was like, again, it was like stigma about that. I mean, it, it didn't hurt for TV or, you know, theater or anything like that, obviously, but it was still for a while, they, there was a real snob awareness of the uh, oh, a horror movie. Yeah. Now it's like everybody wants to be in a horror movie, <laughs> but not in the mid 80s. No, no, no. But you did go on to do an audition for Cousin It. <laughs> in the Adams family. Tell me about the audition for Cousin Ed. Um, at the time, they were cranking out. I think they had done like Beverly Hillbillies and they were doing all this stuff. And I had no idea who was in the cast. So I just thought, oh, the Adams family. My agent goes, you know, would you like to go in and audition for Cousin Ed? And I just, I don't know, this is so stupid. I'm like, 
okay, okay. It was a kind of dry period anyway. So I went in and I was getting the, uh, they sent me the sides back then, you know, they had delivered onto your porch. <laughs> um, there was no internet back then. Um, that was like 89, 90, 1990, I think. Um, so they, uh, I went in and I was just kind of joking with the receptionist going, oh, another TV show that they're cranking out, you know, like what's going to be next? Um, and then she's like, well, you do know that, you know, Raul Julia's in it and Angelica Houston and Christopher Lloyd. I'm going, oh, I want this. So, so I went in and auditioned and it's just the night before the audition, I had a dream about the voice. So I, I went in because all the script says is oot, oot, liver, bleep. So I, I went in and um, they just, I just like, I just did the whole voice. And then um, the casting director says, oh, can you dance? And I, and I, assistant casting director, so I grabbed her hand and we did the Charleston and polka around the room. Um, and then they, they were laughing and everything like that. And Barry Seinfeld was there and Scott Rudin. And then they just said, okay, thank you. Thank you. I, you know, you, we think you got, you know, the part and we're really very happy. And I said, no, I, I want to prove to you that I am a serious actor and it takes a serious actor to play and bring life to cousin it. So they're like, okay, let's placate this guy. Oh, sure, what do you want to do? I said, I want to do a monologue from Hamlet. And I turned, centered myself. And I came back. And they just cried. And Barry Sonnefeld was like, <gasps> and they just, then they did say, definitely, you got the part. This is, they knew I'd be funny on the set and have a good time. So... <laughs> It's an interesting way to get the part. <laughs> he made us laugh the most. <laughs> and then they, they ended up keeping the voice too, because that was the scary part. They said, there's no guarantee we're going to keep the voice. So, but they did. Yeah. I, I, and it's just one of those lovely things. So were you, when you were doing the voice, did you have lines that, because people are having conversations, characters are having conversations with the castanet. Did you have lines in the script or were you just riffing? Like it's well, no. It said "oot oot glibbered leap" is what it said in the script. So that was certain things. Um, in the second Addis Family Values, I and the preacher, I marry Chris Lloyd and Joan Cusack. So I was like, obviously, dearly beloved, we are gathered here today. So you that intimate, you know, so kind <laughs> that kind of like you can interpret that, but everything else is just whatever I can rift and came up with. <laughs> right, right. I was watching the film, uh, the first film this morning, and I had forgotten until I watched it. It's the car that Cousin It drives. Yes. It's a British. What? It's actually a German car. Is it German? Uh, Munchauser or something? What is it? Messerschmitt. Messerschmitt. Right. Now, I know ridiculous amounts about that car because my family had one. Oh, wow. And basically for those people, and when we do the shot, I'll edit in a photograph of the car that we're talking about and a, right. a shot from the thing. But basically I love the, the fact that he drove a Messerschmitt because this is the first car, well, that was the second or third car my family owned. It was for my mum, so she could yeah. go and do the shopping. But I do remember, and I probably would have been about six years old, no, probably a little bit older. We got a family of five into that. <laughs> Oh my gosh. 
I, there could this have is been a like, two-seater. Yeah. This oh, is a two. yeah. This yeah. was had one wheel in the front. Yeah. And there was maybe two people could possibly fit. Yeah. Um, the stunt coordinator or whoever taught me how to drive it, you know, cause I was, we were, had the exterior shot of, of the house. It was just the fake exterior was up at Burbank, up in the hills. So I was like zipping around in that. And then the car, the dealer or whatever offered, to let me buy it. And I was like, really cheap, like a couple thousand or something. Like that. And I was like, going, what would I do with it? Where would I drive it? And I should have bought it. I didn't even thinking, but it's really fun. And then it was my idea when Lurch opens up the hood and popped me out because I knew we shot a music video with Hammer, MC Hammer. And so I said, they, Cousin Mitch should be listening to MC Hammer, you know, another chance to put one of his songs in there. So they, they used that idea. So I was like, I'm the, I drive up and Lurch lifts me, lifts up. And, but of course, there's like, there's like no way that you see me getting out because it's like this very hot and heavy and 30 pounds. <laughs> I was going to say how much, so, so the suit, this is the suit of all the hair, obviously yeah, that weighed 30 pounds. That's 30 a pounds. lot. It is. Yes. Um, they had a neck brace around and then there were like 50 snaps in the back. Um, and then there was like a scuba sized mask that they could actually pull the hair out and clip it open. And I had a hair, a wrangler and they found out quickly. And I did too, that I am allergic to hairspray. So they had to, because the first time they sprayed it, nothing, like gone. So (laughs) uh, they had to use like a a lanolin spray, which is like all oil-based, but they um, had a a wrangler for me and he had to take care of the suit. And and the first day on the set with all, you know, back then it was film and then all the hot and heavy lights at the studio, uh, we were shooting the big ballroom scene, the dancing scene. And they just said, you know, how long can you stay in there? I'm like, I can handle it. And I stayed in for like hours and hours and hours. And then I was just like sweating and like almost ready to pass out. And then after that, we just said, okay, like every 90 minutes, I need a break and need to get out of it because it was so heavy. They had a little battery powered fan inside in between takes, they would clip me open and I would have, and then the Wrangler would come up with a big bottle of water and like a gerbil. I go, <laughs> but I was like, uh, so hot and heavy for the second film. They realized they didn't need it that heavy. So it was probably like 25 or 22 pounds or something. Right. It right. Was, it was an endurance test more than anything. I was just like, could you actually see whilst you were wearing it? No, no. So they would have marks on the floor and I would just like a blind person. I would practice before the cameras were rolling about how many steps forward. And then I could look down and see, okay, I hit my mark. Uh, for the dancing scene, I was with Dana Ivy, and I just said, you lead. I don't know where I'm going. And we were dancing around, and all of a sudden, um, in between one of the takes, all of a sudden, one of the lights popped and caught on fire. And Dana Ivy was near me, um, and all of a sudden, I mean, there were like 40, 50 extras, and it was just like a stampede. And one of the extras, and I had no idea who it was, I'm getting goosebumps now. She was a guardian angel. She just came, grabbed me and said, just come with me. And she took me off because I would have, with that lanolin and the fire going, I was like, I just would have been a big woof, you know, on Inferno. If, 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 when, if nothing, you know, what yeah. happened. But it was still, everybody was running and I would have been stampede. You know. So somebody saved me and took me away and 
got me out of there and probably got the fire out. Wow. So were you a fan of the Adams Family show as a kid? Um, I watched some of it. I always thought it was a little too goofy. So that's why when I went to the audition, I'm going, oh, this is you know, a little silly. Like, I didn't like the monsters either or anything like that. I mean, I was into Batman, you know, <laughs> live <laughs> action and uh, and the monkeys and the Partridge family. And I like those. Anything more so with like singing and music. Um, but um, I enjoyed um, Morticia. It was always fun. And, you know, her, you know, that fly Venus flytrap and always stuff like that. I have several podocarpi, podocarpus trees in my backyard. And I was like, ooh, you know, because they look like, you know, Morticia's. <laughs> I can't remember what's her name. She, like, she named some of her plants. I was trying to, yes, because in the second movie, when she's carrying it out of the house, um, at one point, they just, I think, I, yeah, I can't remember what her name used to call it. <laughs> So when when did you get the call about the second film, the second Adams Family? I was film? worried um, because by then, after they I knew already that they had replaced. So whatever reason, um, the first grandma got replaced by Carol Kane. So I was like, going, okay, they're going to give it my part to P.B. Herman or somebody. Then I'm, I'm out because they're going celebrities. Um, but they. They liked me and they just called up my agent and said, you know, we'd like John to come back and give us a nice little raise and stuff like that. So I was like, so that was great. Um, and then for the second one, actually for both of them, I was, they were had flying me around the country. I'm like, I was doing all the morning talk shows. And um, so it was a lot of fun. I got to go back to Chicago and stay with my family and, or have my family come up to the hotel downtown. So I was doing a lot of that. And then, we did the huge press junket uh, in New York and Raul Julia was learning his lines for Nana La Mancha at the time. So he was like, could you run lines with me, John? So I'm running lines with Raul Julia for his Nana La Mancha, which was opening up in, you know, a few weeks afterwards. And sweet, sweet guy, very sad that he you know died so young. Um, and that's, they were going to do a third one. Paul Rudnick had written it and he's so funny. <laughs> And he wrote the second one. It's like, you can just tell, you know, the cheap gay guy wrote that. He's like, so funny. <laughs> um, but so they ran Angelica um, and Chris Lloyd just said, no, without Raul, I can't do it. Um, and now I just heard that Tim Burton is directing another version of it. So I don't know. And whether it's true or not, I don't know. This is just a rumor. Rumor has it that they want Christina Ricci to play Morticia now. Which would be really a full, cool, full circle. That's yeah. true. Um, so we'll see what happens. They haven't, I haven't gotten a call yet. <laughs> <laughs> they did a cartoon of Adam's family, and so I had a voiceover agent at the time, and I went in um, and met with them, and then it ended up going to Rip Torn. I think Rip Torn. So again, they want celebrity, and so whatever. Yeah. Like, yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, that's, that's definitely, that's definitely, that's life. Um, after that, I mean, a little bit later on, you actually returned to Children of the Corn with Children of the Corn 666, Isaac's Return. And in this case, I mean, you are right, co-writing it with your cousin and uh, you're, you're appearing in it. How did that all come about? Well, what kicked up? What kicked well, it off? And what kicked it off? Um, 
for many years, my agent had just been saying, because they were, it, they're like a span of like seven or eight years before they finally came out with Children of Corn number two with the sequel. Um, and my agent's like, Isaac should come back. It's like, I'm like, well, I was kind of dead at the end of the first one. It's like, that's movie magic, whatever. You know, they can fake it. Um, and so eventually they cranked out, cranked out. You know, there were five of them. And so uh, my cousin and writing partner, uh, we had been working for Connie Stevens for like 11 years you know, as a writing development deal. Um, and so we uh, found out, you know, who had the rights to it. My manager you know, got us a meeting. Uh, it was happened to be Dimension Films. And we went in and pitched the idea, Isaac's, you know, return. Or, um, and they're just like, no brainer. And it just happened to be that it was the sixth sequel. So it was my idea to come up with Children Point 666, of course, you know what I'm saying? Um, and then again, showbiz, you know, like they said, okay, go and write whatever you want for your first draft. Just give us everything. So we had like, Isaac world domination. It was like taking over and like blowing up mental hospitals. And I was, I had Courtney in there and I was like snapping his neck and just all these explosions. And it was just insane. But they said, right, whatever we want. So we did. And then they're like, we, this is a low budget movie. We can't do this. Like, why did you waste our time at letting us? So then they're like going, okay, these are the things that we can do. We can chop a girl in half. We can electrocute. They're like all they're listing all the stuff that we can do. So we were like paint by numbers, like murder by numbers. <laughs> so we like, okay, we can do this, and I'll chop a girl in half, and and then it's like I'll electrocute Stacy Keach, and um, but it was just so much fun to be able to again bring the character back, write my own dialogue this time, um, and it was just uh, so that's how it came about. So that. And we went in and they're just like running out of ideas. <laughs> like, okay. So what now Weinstein's and dimension films, as you say, yeah. not exactly known for the highest quality artistic, <laughs> in, you know, experience, not personally with it. Cause uh, you know, all the move to the States, I was no longer acting in the dimension films um, when they took over from the Hellraiser franchise. What was it like on a day to day basis? Cause I mean, um, Yep, go ahead. I was going to say, no, sorry, literally, what was it like on a day-to-day basis working with them? Um, Bob Weinstein was the head of the horror division um, of a dimension. So he came to the set once, and it was on a day where I was not shooting. So I never even got to meet him. Um, but Carrie, uh, Carrie Scoglin was the director, and she was just brilliant. She sat down before we even started shooting with my cousin, Tim Sulka, and I, and just like helped us really fine tune and shape the script and get it all you know ready for day one. Um, and then what she brought to it and with the, the DP was just a lot better than I thought it was going to be because it could have been, you know, like, but it looked great for a low budget movie. And I mean, just editing was wonderful. And um, they, I wish they had, cause I've got a director's cut and it's the VHS tape <laughs> and they have, they used whatever music they wanted to. So it was like really hard rock. And that's what we, my cousin and I wanted, you know, the dirt bikes and just, man, children in the corn, for, you know, the, the, what the current time was like, I think 99 or 98 that we shot it. Um, and we just wanted for the teenagers of today, you know, um, nothing like at all of the 
kids like in the first movie where they're just zombies and um so we just really wanted it updated and fun but anyway the music was so cool and they didn't want to pay all the money for that they do have one really cool song where my son commits suicide um did, did you ever see the second one the 666 no so anyway my son ends up killing himself he puts his huge scythe on the ground and then he like throws himself on it and of course it pierces him and kills him because uh, he doesn't want to do what I want him to do, um, which is have sex with the girl and then form a master race and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> so anyway, but the song they picked was so cool. I, I, I don't know who it is, but that was like the best. That I love that. That's my favorite scene. Right. I'm not right. in it. But <laughs> it's just because it's really hard metal song. And, and the music for the first one, I think, is just brilliant. I mean, and so many movies ripped off the child choir after that and there's like that was just i think really really amazing and i've got the original album the you know, 33 and the third lp of that soundtrack so that's pretty that's never going anywhere um but yeah the, the music makes so much but anyway the so the 666 turned out better than i thought it was going to be the day-to-day set again um i was a smoker back then. So it's just constantly chain smoking and nervous and just, and it was always like next, 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 because we were so low budget. Um, we actually shot at a abandoned hospital that we use as the mental hospital. <laughs> um, and that I had shot a previous, you know, um, yeah, yeah, previously I had shot, uh, and, really schlocky fun movie called Tammy and the Teenage T-Rex uh, with Denise Richardson. And it was one of Paul Walker's first movies too. He's a nice guy. Um, rest in peace, Paul. Um, so it was, it was interesting and weird to be back there. But again, it was like always like, we're losing the set. And it's like very stressful. And we shot that big, there's a big final sequence. And they, of course, they added all the explosions and blow up at later. Um, Spoiler alert, where my character gets killed. Um, and, and he who walks behind the rose and I have a duel, sort of. Um, but it was like, it was the last shot. And it was like, we were going to lose that set at, you know, whatever, 3 a.m. We had to be out. It was at 1 a.m. Suddenly they're going, oh, well, we can't do what you wrote in the script. And my cousin wasn't there. So Kari Skoglin and the DP and some of the other people were just kind of kind of brainstorming and came up with this whole, like, um, game show theme of you know he who walks behind the rules and so it was like thrown together and it's like we got the last shot in and nancy allen's there i'm like torturing her <laughs> so it's it's very stressful i'm sure you know what that yeah. world is like you know i'm talking about yeah 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 yeah, yeah. no I, I, I yeah it's fascinating um to to listen to uh particularly because um your director has gone on to do um, Falcon and the Winter Soldier um, was the last thing. So you're obviously working with some very, very talented people. Uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, only. No, you mentioned that you've already been doing writing. Do you, and it must be weird, I've never done, yes, I have actually done this, um, basically <laughs> written lines for yourself as an actor. Um, what What did it feel like? You know, who's the idiot who wrote this line for myself? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, it's like, again, we wrote that whole first draft and then they just, you know, tossed that in the trash can. 
And then like, okay, um, well, we've got a few months to go and then we'll contact you when we want to you know, start you on the first draft, second draft, because you get paid for each draft and along the way. And then all of a sudden they call up and they're, I'm serious. They're like, going, oh my gosh, it's the corn is ripe now. It's harvest time. We need to shoot in a week. So we had, we wrote that script in like a week and that was just insane. So it was, it was very natural to write my own dialogue. Um, not that I improv. The only time I improv in the first Children of the Corn is all those lines up when I'm on the cross. Like, you morons. I'm like, <laughs> I think I could have come up with something better than that. Uh, but at the time, I was freezing. It was up on the cross. It was at 3 a.m. So I'm going, okay. Um, but it was just the whole sense of Isaac was just there. You know, so it was like so many years later that I you know, came back to it, 16 years later to be exact. Um, it was just easy to write those lines for myself. Right, right, right. Do you prefer writing over acting or acting, or these are just two different strands of what you do? I do enjoy writing better. Um, um, I came back to acting um, after teaching for 14 years, and I, I did a, a, a part on um, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, and that was a blast. That set was so much fun. And then I did another, I can get the show's been canceled, so I don't care. So it was a fresh off the boat, I had a guest star. And I was like a, a notary of the public, you know, it's, a, it's just one scene, but it was really fun. And they rewrote my lines the night before. So of course they just emailed it to me. So it was like this whole great character that, I mean, could have just, again, bitchy snotty character and, and i just nailed it and i loved it and i just like this character could have like a spin-off series i'm serious it was so funny and then they like watered it down and they had to change it all and so i got on the set and being a little bit older and not having acted for you know many years relearning lines was hard and so i'm like remembering because the other lines and slightly different. So it was, and the director was just faster, faster, faster. I'm going, you know, I probably should have asked for a cue card and then I could have done experiment and done different voices, but it was not a fun experience. <laughs> so it was, I was like, and then I saw the final product and it was like, cut most of it anyway. So, but uh, no, I love writing. I love writing. Um, I started writing a, as a journal blog or whatever, uh, November, 2017. Um, that was exactly a little bit after my husband was, had cancer 12 years ago, he beat it. And then, um, now it's four years ago, 2017. Um, he had just begun having uh, eight months of chemo. And so I just started writing a daily journal about what our day was, doctor appointments, blood transfusions, um, emergency room visits, um, eight months of chemo, all the nurses and it, the big chemo room, you can overhear everything is just a little curtain between. So, I mean, just the sad stories, the funny stories, it's just, so I'm still, I continued. He passed away May 14th of 2020. Um, but it's just like amazing therapy and throughout all of, and I thought, okay, whatever this is, will I ever try to sell it? I don't know. It's so personal. Um, but it's just great therapy and all through COVID because um, like the first, the last three months of his life, no one could visit. 
And I was just like the bear. I'm like, no one's coming in here except the hospice nurse, you know, once a week. And I would not let, we were doing FaceTime a lot of friends up to that point, a lot of, you know, friends you know, um, had been visiting. Uh, but once COVID hit and we didn't know how it was transmitted, nothing. So I would not allow anyone in the house, in the home. Um, but anyway, so I love writing. So it's just, right. it's just, it was great therapy. It was really, right, really, right. And it still is. Right, right. Now, I happen to know that one of your favorite writers is William Shakespeare. <laughs> How did, when did you first encounter William Shakespeare? Not in person, wow. obviously. <laughs> 3D, House of Shakespeare. Uh, um, well, in college, we um, they did a summer night stream. And I auditioned for Puck, of course, um, and I didn't get it. And it was a big ripoff, um, but I was cast as uh, Peas Blossom, one of the fairies. It's on my resume that I did Puck, but too bad. That's everyone lies a little bit. But, <laughs> but it's just, I just love Shakespeare from then. Um, and then when I went into teaching, I taught uh, at a one's a different school in the Los Angeles School District called Summer High School. And then it was just getting to be such a drive and just like, and then a newer school opened up more up by me in Northern uh, LA County. Um, and so I went in and interviewed and it was the second year of the school and first year they just had uh, juniors only. And then the second year they were going to open it up to um, like also freshmen, sophomores, on and on. So I'm sitting around as a, English teacher. I had got my teaching credential already while working at Summer High School, um, which was horrifying. Go teach all day and then go to college at night. Zombie. Um, but anyway, so we're sitting around an English meeting and they're like, okay, next year we're going to have seniors. And one of the English options is Shakespeare. Who wants to take Shakespeare? And everyone's like, going, and I'm going, I'll take it. Yeah. You know, as I had a whole semester um, in college uh, working on Shakespeare, uh, foil fencing, stage combat, um, vocal training. So I just, I ran my Shakespeare class for many years as it was like an acting class. We did a comedy uh, and a drama each semester. And then we would put on our little, I would do edited versions so we could get it done in two days, two periods. So, um, and it was just so much fun. Uh, teachers, we get five classes uh, a year. And one year, I had four Shakespeare classes. And actually, it was kind of boring. I was like, oh, no. I was like trying to remember, like, did we do this? I'm like, I would like have little post-its, period one, period three. <laughs> but it was a very popular class. It was really, really fun. And I got all the drama kids, of course. So it was like some really good people, really amazing talent. And so it was just so much fun. I've just always, I taught Shakespeare for many years and, and we would do on the book stuff, you know, like he was born and, you know, <laughs> on um, so it was just, I just love Shakespeare. What, what is the secret to performing Shakespeare? Do you think? Um, well, that's why I, I always start each, the fall semester off with a Midsummer Night's Dream because it is just horny teenagers in love and and the mix-ups and the mess-ups of you know mistaken who loves who and who's all that um it's just being true 
to the character. And I love that you just just say the lines and it's there. You really don't have to do a lot because he's just so, Shakespeare's so brilliant. So that is just amazing. This is my mug from when I went to the Globe Theatre <laughs> and, and to London twice. But. Do you have a favourite Shakespeare film or film version of Shakespeare? Um, again, it probably is uh, Midsummer Night's Dream uh, with Michelle Pfeiffer um, and um, I'm trying to think of the other actors. In it. Um, Kevin Klein. Kevin Klein is bottom. Oh, yeah. is um, the really. most amazing Yes. Bottom. Yeah. Just. Really, really fun. I'm getting goosebumps just remembering it now. I I was wondering if that, yeah. (laughs) Definitely. I mean, there are other that are really good, but that one just pops in my mind. It's just so funny. Yes. Really, really good. Yeah, and, and is it, it, get, it has all the sexiness, but all uh, you know, no. the fantasy, and <laughs> just Kevin Klein is just this man who wants so much more than what he's got. And oh, beautiful, beautiful performance. And and I loved that it's rewriting Shakespeare, of course, but they added you know to the scenes with his wife and and the, him getting you know dumped the wine or whatever it is that gets dumped on him, and obviously to get sympathy for the character mm. because he could yeah. be. Unpossibly unlikable. So I'm sure I hear a producer saying, "They have to make him likable. <laughs> Let's have somebody dump something on his head." Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We're coming to the end um, of, of the show, and before I let you go, I would like okay. to um, run the luggage in the crypt questions past ah, you. Okay. So this idea <laughs> of. <laughs> If I, if I, you're going to go into the most amazing pyramid and you can take anything you want. And if I was really mean and say, okay, I'm going to be a gatekeeper, it's huge, but you've only got room for one film. What film do you think would you take? <laughs> um, I would have to say, and I haven't seen it in many, many years, so it could be the real stink bomb that I don't remember. <laughs> but Little Big Man with Dustin Hoffman. That is, I think, I remember watching that and just saying he ages to be 101 years old and just going, I want to do that. And that's, I want to be an actor. Um, And then there's another movie that I would probably try to steal and that's The Tin Drum. Um, I was at college at University of Illinois when that opened up 13 times in one week. I just went going back and back and back at the paying at the theater. I was just mesmerized because again, it's the small kid who's not growing up and he's, and it was me, you know, tw- you know, 18 to 25, you know, looking, you know, 12, 13 years old. And it just made such an impression. And I did, I have bought the DVD of that. <laughs> so Tindrum, so I have watched it again and it is still a brilliant uh, film. And there's a difference between film and movie in my book. Right, so. right. Okay. okay, that's that's very interesting. What about a book? Um, easily, uh, Nicholas Nickleby, Charles Dickens. I just he's my favorite writer of books and novels. Uh, it's just so brilliant, and I just loved it, and always loved it, and got to see the whole you know, eight hour extravaganza here in LA when they did it at the Mark Taper Forum. Um, it's just, it's just 
speaks to my soul. I just love it. So right, right. Right. What about music? What sort of music do you listen to? Oh man. Uh, it's my older brother's fault and my sister because they were nine years older. So I grew up, I mean, you listen to the Beatles. Now, if you can see stuff behind, I've had like my whole office is just a shrine to the Beatles. So I love the Beatles, uh, whole Motown thing. I was teased and, and, grammar school because all of my other classmates were into like the Osmonds and I loved the Jackson five. So I was like, what? you like Michael Jackson? They're like, yes, I love Michael Jackson. And I saw him in concert and he was the most brilliant performer ever in my life that I've ever seen. And just, he would dance and spin off and poof, an explosion of, and he would come back dancing on in a complete different outfit and just nonstop three hours of him dancing and singing. And he's a brilliant, and he's a genius, genius. It was just so sad what happened to his life at the end. Mm, mm. Horrible, horrible. Yeah. Yeah. So rest in peace. Michael. So music all over the map too. I still, um, my husband was into country music and he saved everything. So uh, when I was going through his stuff, there was a little piece of paper that he wrote down the first time we, I guess we spoke on the phone. He started, wrote down, does not like country music. <laughs> he also wrote, seems nice and, and very cute. Um, so, so he got me into country a little bit, not like the real twangy stuff, but I do have an appreciation for like Zach Brown, the, the harmonies and always, I named one of my cars, Reba, a RAV4, Reba RAV. Um, right. So Trisha Yearwood, Dixie Chicks, right. more uh, stuff like that. So Keith Urban right. also is really good. Yeah. Right. <laughs> what about a favorite food or drink? Um, probably Italian or Mexican food or always, I, I like spicy foods. Um I know you mentioned you love pad thai. So. <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I love Thai food too. Um, it was like funny because for a year of COVID, I just I did a few you know del- deliveries of food and takeout, but it was again I got to do a lot of my own cooking and you know stuff. So, so yeah. that's why I lost six pounds because I'm bored of my cooking. <laughs> <laughs> so, spicy right. food. Spicy food. Right. Okay. That seems fair enough to me. What about a piece of visual art, a painting or statue? Um, I love um, Van Gogh. Van Gogh. Uh, I got a chance to go to the Van Gogh Museum and just, I mean, Starry Starry Night, possibly. I mean, there's so many brilliant pieces. I, I love Impressionism. Um, I also went in, in the Louvre and then the Musée d'Orsay, of uh, just standing there and staring at Monet and just, you know, just a creepy thing happened in at the Van Gogh Museum where I just stared at the painting so long, I thought I was in the painting. It was really a creepy thing. I felt like I was in there. And then I like didn't want to leave for a while. And then I had to like snap back. And I, at that time I was, we were doing a backpack tour or six weeks of, um, your rail pass in the backpack, my cousin and I, um, and he, he just said, Hey, John, John, you know, cause I was like catatonic. And then I came back and I was out of the painting again. It was just very surreal. And I've seen like movies now where they sort of do that, but it was, I had not seen a movie at that point. Yeah. You remind me that was a Japanese, yeah, Japanese yeah. filmmaker made one of yeah. exactly that experience where he's walking through the fields of corn and, and yeah. uh, so on. Yeah. 
Um, incredibly powerful. Um, what about a luxury? I'm a pretty simple person. <laughs> uh, I, I really, I, both my husband and I were just like, uh, no fancy cars. No, we. I guess the one luxury we have is we bought. We've had RVs uh, for over 22 years. So, in fact, I just had to sell it yesterday. Because oh. just I tried going out by myself, and it's it's not fun. It's something yeah. to do with someone you love or you know family members. And and I would go out to the coast here in LA, and my birthday was June 16th, so I was lucked out and got three days there. So when friends would come out every day and that was a blast when people are there but so the luxury of the rb is will soon be gone i think they're going to pick it up tomorrow or friday right 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 but i think yeah we could we'll allow you to take on plus you know assorted friends just to make it yeah a really enjoyable thing for you to you know to be doing and then to go out i mean because my husband and i we went to canada we went to seattle every other year we've got a lot of dear friends up there uh, went out to Chicago to visit my family. We did a lot with the four different RVs we had over the years. Um, and it's like most of my friends are either still working or they're married and, and nobody wants to jump in the RV with me for three weeks. You know, like we used to go off for three, four weeks. It was like the beauty of teaching. You've got the summer off <laughs> or I would take the summer off. So it's, it's just, I might come back to it later on in a future time. If, right. if I find a new special someone that's into, into that. Yeah. Yeah, there's no reason why not. No reason why yeah. not at all. I'm young. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I, you know. <laughs> we're only a year apart, so yeah, I, yes, yeah. I, I, I <laughs> listen. I still consider myself to be terribly young, and I know. Um, I know. Like, you know, in the, when I say consider myself to be terribly young, I haven't grown up yet. That's probably what I really mean. <laughs> what is your luxury? What is my luxury? Probably be a drink. Now, I don't drink alcohol, uh, except very, very occasionally. Um, And when I do, it's usually Drambui, which is the honey liqueur from Scotland. Um, And that is probably, yeah. There's also Bailey's. Irish cream, okay, yeah, as well. But honestly, if I was really pushed to it, then it would actually, yeah, it would definitely have to be Baileys, something like that. Now, before I let you go, John, I just can you think off the top of your head, and you please say no if you can't. A quote, (laughs) a quote from or a speech from Shakespeare. Oh my God! Um, If we shadows have offended. Think but this, and all is mended. That you have but slumbered here while these visions did appear. And this weak and idle theme, no more yielding than a dream. Gentles, do not reprehend. If you pardon, we will mend. And, as I have an honest puck, if we have the unended luck now to escape the serpent's tongue, we will make amends ere long. Else the puck a liar call. So good night unto you all. Give me your hands if we be friends, and Robin shall restore amends. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I'm, I'm wiping, wiping 
Yes, oh. dear, and, and <laughs> it is one of my favorite. Is one of and, my favorite. One of my favorite. Yeah, it's it's. We had a little bit of a technical glitch to it. But I'm, I'm going to leave it exactly as is because it's such okay. a beautiful performance. But no, thank you, John. John, thank you so very oh, much indeed. Thank you, Nick. Yes. And I promised to go back and watch all the other chattering hours. But I was like thinking, it's like, how can I fill an hour? And here it is, boom, again. <laughs> 60 minutes later, 40 years later, what's happening? Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> we are at that age where it just goes so fast. It know. goes so fast. John, thank you so very much of again. Course. And hopefully see you soon. Yes, look forward to seeing you. Maybe we'll do a convention or two. My thanks again to John Franklin. It's not often I get a chance to talk about Messerschmitt cars, and I love that impromptu performance of Puck from A Midsummer Night's Dream. If you like the show, please like it, and consider subscribing to the Chris Rowe Management YouTube channel. And joining me next week, where you'll hear some more great stories from the worlds of horror, thriller, and suspense. In the meantime, take care, and... Stay well. The Chattering Hour, hosted by Nicholas Vince, is produced by Chris Rowe Management and Tea Time Productions. Producer Chris Rowe, with production support from Amanda Rome West. Composer Kevin McLeod, copyright Tea Time Productions. Mm-hmm.